boy screws loose, they done stripped the bolts on them. Should have never sent them to pick up the work for them. Spray the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all gone. Tech cursive on the chest. Hello, and welcome to another episode Thank you for joining us. It is Wednesday, March 8th. Just after 4 p.m. on the East Coast, I am your host, Ben Handler, a.k.a. King Chuddy, joined, as always, by my co-host, Nick Perino. Nick, how you doing? Been better, Ben. It's probably the first time I've felt this way all season, to be honest, but, you know, it was bound to happen. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably fair. We will certainly get into all that. Um lot to discuss. Nick and I have been off for a couple weeks now. The last time we came to you was right before the All-Star break. Um, and it hasn't. it's only been about two weeks, but a lot, I would say, has happened. we got a lot to talk about, a lot to dig into about the Celtics before we get started. Uh, some housekeeping, of course. As always, head over to the blog, nickperino.com. you find blog posts, find all the podcasts, all the Twitter accounts. It's kind of your home base to find us everywhere. Um, and then, of course, you can follow us both on Twitter. I'm at King Chuddy. Nick is at underscore Nick Perino. And you can also follow the show at Chuddy's Corner. However you find us, reach us. Let us know what you think. Join in the conversation. And obviously, you can listen on Apple, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcast from. So, without further ado, let's just jump right into it. We were going to... Go on this podcast, we had it all planned out. We were going to talk about the All-Star game, Tatum's MVP, the three-point contest, the little showdown one-on-one him and Jalen. Then we were going to talk about the win over Indiana in overtime, the game we beat Philly against uh, with Tatum's wit game winning three, all that good stuff. And then not so much. We had the Brooklyn Nets game last Friday, which... Um, I don't remember if I can recall a larger blown loss slash collapse that I've seen as the Celtics blew a 28-point lead at home to the now Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving-less Brooklyn Nets. Um, Not great. Certainly not great. Um, Oh, and uh, Rob Williams got hurt and left the game. That was also fun. But, um, you know, with this team, I think they've earned – They've earned the benefit of the doubt that in a one-game blip on the radar, we can we can get past that at this point. So you figure Sunday they'll come back with a vengeance, but uh, no, they blew another double-digit lead. I think they were up this time as much as 14 in the second half, and they ended up losing in double overtime to the New York Knicks, who have beaten us now three times in a row. Uh, and then the next day, what probably should have been a schedule loss anyway at Cleveland, um, you know, only a few hours after landing there and missing Tatum, Al, and Rob. Turned out to be a game we led by double digits almost the entire way and then managed to blow another double-digit lead in the final minutes, ultimately losing to the Cavs in overtime. We've now lost three games in a row. We've led by at least 14 in each of those three games. We are a full two games in the loss column behind the box for the one seed. And, um, yeah, like you said, I I don't think I've quite felt this way all season. And I'm 
generally kind of the voice of reason and the whole no need to panic, no need to panic, no need to panic. Um, but it's hard to not be at least a little concerned with this little skid. So I guess we'll start there. Is this a little skid or what's going on? Do you see real reasons for concern? Where are you kind of at uh, if we want to talk panic meter, things of that nature, which seems crazy compared to where we were a couple weeks ago. But That Philly game feels like months ago. It feels like a different season. I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously in a panic, but I'm always in a panic when we lose more than, you know, two games in a row. Um, But it's kind of hard for me, and I think the reason why I think I'm more in a panic than, you know, a normal three-game losing streak is just because of the way we've been losing, which kind of looks a lot like it did, you know, a couple years ago, you know, before – you know, the 2022 turnaround, mm-hmm. you know, first early. First half early, of last season, last yeah, year. First half, seasons. yeah, last season, the year before that, and, yeah. you know, subsequent years. I mean, it's, you know, that whole our whole Achilles heel is always uh, blown leads, big blown leads, um, you know, getting down and then fighting back. And, you know, it's just like the inconsistency, you know, within the game, not just game to game. But, you know, we've we've seen it for years where it's like, you know, it just, it kind of seemed like we had kicked that. Um, and not that we haven't blown leads, you know, periodically this season, but right. it's just, we're seeing like a three game sample size where it's happened multiple times, like mm-hmm. per game over the last three. And I mean, you know, I think we, I think, I know you said the Knicks, we were up like 14 at one point in the third or something. And I think we had a double digit lead in the second or something. I mean, like, I feel like all of these games, I don't know if it was, I don't know if it was the Knicks, but we've had like double digit leads multiple times that we've given up in single games. And it's just something about it is just triggering, you know, (laughs) bad memories. Um, Well, I mean, blowing leads is never, never fun. Yeah. And I mean, this was, you know, this was part of the reason why, uh, I mean, obviously it was probably the reason we lost the finals last year, that game, what was it, game three when we blew that lead to four? We were up two one. Yeah, well, yeah, we were up two one. We, if we closed out that game, it was three one, and mm-hmm. we were probably mm-hmm. going to be champs. I mean, who knows sure. what would have happened, but yeah, um, no, that's fair to say. That's probably why we didn't win the finals last year. And yeah, and know, I mean, it's why way... we had to go to seven against Milwaukee when we blew that exactly. Five. Yeah. It's why Miami took us to seven. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Miami almost won that game seven, even. Right. So, so yeah, I mean that's that's pretty much. I don't know. I mean we're the same same roster. We're obviously banged up a little bit. Rob is, um, you know, part of that reason. But I mean, you know, we didn't have Rob for most of the year, and we had the best record in the league. So I mean, yep. uh, we're at our best with Rob, but that's not his that's absence not alone reason. isn't an excuse. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, we should be able to tread water without him. Definitely, and I think the 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 blown leads and the late game stuff. I mean, I, I don't know which it is more is kind of how they play in crunch time versus how they play with a lead. I think it's it's obviously kind of tied together as most of the time they're leading. Like that's part part of it is just that most times the Celtics are leading. They don't really get blown out. So 
that's kind of a difference to me where like in today's NBA saying like, oh, they had a 12 point lead in the second quarter and they lost. It's like, that's not really a blown lead. That's kind of just how the NBA is. I mean, double digit leads disappear like nothing. Now the Nets loss, when you blow a 28 point lead, that is like eye opening type of blown lead as it was the biggest blown lead in the NBA this season by any team. So that's bad. The, you know, the Knicks game was, was a bad loss, but I didn't feel like it was like the same kind of just collapsing and like blowing a huge lead. It was, you know, back and forth game for the most part our largest lead was 14 but it wasn't like we were blowing them out the whole game and then just let them come back um i mean you could feel it going down but it was then the other way around like 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 you said it's the inconsistency because then the knicks got up by if not double digits they were up i think at least nine with five minutes left and it was like then we were a different team those last five minutes to force overtime and it was the probably as good a defense as i've seen us play in a long time since, you know, it, we've only seen it in Spurs, but it was that like elite Celtics defense was back. They locked in and they walked that lead down real fast and forced overtime, obviously ultimately lost the game. But that one didn't really hit me the same way. And then, like you said, where it's it's not even game to game, it's in within the game. The fact that we, we got that 28 point lead against Brooklyn playing maybe the best 12, 15 minutes of the year, like we were looking like the the Celtics, you know, at their peak. That was like juggernaut Celtics from late last regular season that we saw in the beginning of that Brooklyn game. And then they had the lead down to like nine. It was a flurry to end the second quarter where they got it to nine. And that kind of run that Brooklyn went on just never ended. I think at one point they were on like a 77 to 35 run, which is insane, um, obviously. So I think, um, you know, it's it's tough and as the non-panic guy like there's you can look at each game in almost every instance and chalk something up like i said the Cavs game you didn't have tatum you didn't have your starting three four or five no tatum no al no rob and it was a back-to-back on the road against a good team like that is an excuse if you just take that one game in the vacuum um you know the i mean maybe there's no excuses for the nets game that one was just bad but the next game again you know you have no rob you have no Brogdon, like, again, small things, kind of, but real things, you know what I mean? And that's why, you know, it's silly for me to be, hear people saying they're, like, panicking after the Cavs game. They're like, are you concerned? Well, if we play playoff games without Tatum, Al, or Rob, then yeah, I'll definitely be concerned. But, I mean, that's just almost not... It's the same way as, like, that Bucks game when none of our guys played and we took them to overtime and played so well. Or the same way as, like, or when we beat Philly with just Tatum. It's like, you can't take anything away from it when it's good or bad because those just the situation just doesn't really translate to anything meaningful, in a way, if that makes sense. Or it's like, I don't think the Bucks and Philly, it's like almost a natural letdown for them when they see us missing players. So I can't, even when we play well and the game's closer than it should be or we win, I'm like, okay, that's great, but it doesn't really tell me anything about a future matchup. And I think it's kind of the same the other way now when we're missing guys um, and lose these games. Like, that's just not – it's not what it's going to look like in the playoffs. I mean, at least hopefully it's not. Obviously, if we are missing those guys in the playoffs, then the whole thing is a different conversation anyway. But it's usually tough for me to get worked up over a regular season loss. Um, a three-game losing streak in and of itself, not a big deal. But, again, to lose all three of these games – all three to teams, I mean, the Nets and they're all kind of rivals. They're the, what, four or five and six seeds in the East right now. So there's a good chance we'll at some point play at least one of those teams in the playoffs. And now the Cavs have beaten us three times out of four. The Knicks have beaten us three times out of four. 
Uh, I mean, we had beaten the Nets 10 times in a row before that game, but that's the first time we played them with basically their new team. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely concerning, and this is the time of year where we should be ratcheting up. We should be clicking, getting into form. Like It's almost like the opposite of last year, where we started awful. for the, Not awful, but I mean, back and forth, basically a 500 team for 45, 50 games, and then we flipped the switch, and we kind of peaked down the stretch and vaulted into the two seed, whereas this year... It's almost like the opposite. We came out like gangbusters, had a huge lead in the East, and now we've come back to being almost mediocre for a long time. We've been, you know, good but not great, and it's it's kind of hard to tell where we stand. Are we closer to the box? Is it still the Bucks and the Celtics? Are we above everyone else, or are we kind of back in the pack with the rest of that, like, Eastern Conference, not wannabes, but whatever you call the tier behind what was the Celtics and Bucks? Yeah, and like back to the Cavs loss too. It's I don't think you know if if I if I didn't watch the game and you know you said yeah we lost it was a close game I'd be like all right well you know we <laughs> it was it almost was a close. that it was close it would have been easier right. to stop blown out I wouldn't and I think that's kind of why I mean maybe myself and some people feel worse about it For is sure. because we were in that game we had the opportunity to win that game mm-hmm. and you know going into it. I wouldn't say we should have won the game, but you know, the, where we were at in the first fourth quarter, yeah, we probably should have won that game with the players we had. I mean, we, we hung with them. We were, we had leads. It's like, yeah, obviously that night in that situation, we were good enough to beat them. And yeah. you know, we, we didn't. So mm-hmm. um, that's the reason why I think it probably stings a little bit more. Definitely. Um, but I don't know. I mean, which came off a double overtime win, so I, I get that maybe a overtime loss. I mean, an overtime loss, a double overtime loss. So I think, you know, it's it's obvious that people were probably cooked by the end of it. But for sure, you could see it in their legs. But at that point, we should have at that point exactly, exactly. And I mean, some of the guys, yeah, they don't have fresh legs. But Malcolm had fresh legs. I mean, Derek didn't play a ton the night before. Some of the guys on the yeah. court, and that's. I mean, like I said, it's one of those things in a vacuum. I don't really mind that game too much and again it's not even like an issue where i could say oh look at our like crunch time offense because our crunch time offense without tatum and and even al like that's just not our crunch time offense. (laughs) you know what i mean so but at the same time you know even the most optimistic celtics fan i don't know how you can look and say there aren't some issues in late game situations and when trying to close out games or hold on to leads And I think it's just apparent that even at full strength, and this has been a trend even when we're at our best, it's always kind of been the issue is what happens when the games get tight. And it does seem like we just play a different way. Now, some of that is I think the game slows down in general. Like you can't just look at us, the offense humming with the ball movement, the spacing and the playing with pace and just say, okay, do that for 48 minutes. Cause at some, a certain point the game just does slow down and you can't do that. Like it's not that simple of a fix. But they have to do something with these late game situations and figure out a better way to run offense in crunch time because they're just they they definitely it, it feels like in almost like in a football sense where you see the team start to try to run the clock down a little too early. Yeah, and it, that's kind of what it feels like. Where a lot of these times we do let our foot off the gas, we get you know a twelve point lead with five minutes left, and we're like, all right, we did it. And it, like I said, in today's NBA, you know, a ten point lead it can be gone in a minute. So I think the Celtics, however they're going to do this, and if it's coaching, if it's the players, whatever, but they need to – 
I, I don't know, kind of like keep that up for longer. Um, I mean, it sounds very simple. It sounds almost stupid, but that's what's happening. <laughs> and I, I think this whole, uh, you know, trying to run the clock thing, which obviously has been a problem for us this year and last year. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like a, it's more of like a strategy. I feel like you saw like five, 10 years ago when, mm-hmm. you know, things were obviously offices weren't as dynamic and, you know, it, it, like it, it was, people started milking the clock a lot earlier and it was sort of that, you know, your best player takes the ball up the court and, you know, takes her time, milk it down to like 12 seconds and maybe start running an offense. And then, you know, yeah, you, you burned almost, you know, the full shot clock, but you ended up with a bad possession and then maybe a missed shot. And then the other team's running mm-hmm. and that's how, you know, that's how he's. Yeah. I mean, a three is stopping a three, six points can happen in 30 seconds. And like I said, a 10, 12 point lead suddenly is a two possession game. And then you're exactly. like, then you're in a battle. And then once you turn it off and go into that slow mode, it's really hard to turn it back on. Exactly. So, you know, that's, I don't know. That's obviously something with the work on, but the thing too, that, you know, makes me a little bit, nervous and I think some other people I mean you hear people unfairly saying you know maybe you took the interim tag off too soon and people are all you know upset or worried about Joe and maybe he's not as good as everyone thought he was which obviously isn't the case if you know even watching the Celtics this year he looks like mm-hmm. you know he belongs but that being said he is a rookie head coach and we haven't faced a ton of adversity this year yeah. Um, obviously the first half of the year, we didn't face any pretty much, um, you well, know, and t- t- this calendar year has been, I think you got to maybe credit Joe a little bit for the fact that the whole email to Joe situation wasn't that we're the fact that we're saying they didn't deal with adversity when their coach basically got suspended for the year, like a week yeah. before the preseason started, that is adversity. So credit to there Joe were, there for navigating that ship at least. Because that, that should have been an, an adverse situation. There was adverse. Uh, there was an adverse situation, you know, as far as like the franchise and the team and everything. But mm-hmm. you know, more Joe obviously had them ready to go. The team, you know, mm-hmm. was ready to go for the season. They played well, and so that you know they hit the ground running. So it was like, you know, adversity in a sense where you know we didn't go through. A losing streak for a while, and yeah. you know we played on blowing doors. Yeah. yeah, so like in game, it's not like you know he obviously the team was he he prepared the team well to play. They played well. We were blowing doors. Everything was good. The in game, you know, there wasn't a lot of real in game, you know, adversity, you know, within the game, the game within the game, really. So he didn't get. I don't think he got really got tested for a while, and the fact that now it's you know this late in the season and he's really this is you know his first like real nba level test where he has to you know navigate the team through you know this adversity or this losing streak and figure out what's wrong um you know it's not just this these three game losing streak i mean that happens like you said but you know we're this is when teams playoff teams start to ramp it up generally Right. And it's kind of going the other direction. Um, so this is where, you know, I think, you know, as a rookie head coach, he's got a, this is where he has to figure it out. And this is, you know, where, uh, you know, w- w- this is where we find out what he's got and if he's, mm-hmm. 
a great coach. Um, and, you know, I think I think he'll figure it out. But I mean, who knows? It's just concerning because this is happening so late in the year. I guess is another thing too. So yeah, I don't know. That's part yeah. of the. I think that's part of the reason why some people are worried, and you know, part of the reason why I'm a little bit worried. But I'm definitely hearing a lot of concern targeted towards Joe in the coaching situation, which I think is kind of like the low hanging fruit. Cause you look at the team it's like, okay, what's changed from last year, the coach, you know, that's the main thing. And especially in some of these situations, it seemed like the team kind of toughened up because of Emei's like tough love. Whereas now you see Joe isn't really the same demeanor and things go South. And what do you immediately look at Joe? And it's like the timeout thing has been another thing. That's kind of like low hanging fruit for fans who watch because honestly even you know the most seasoned and knowledgeable NBA fans like you don't really know what's going on in the locker room you don't know all that Joe's doing and even why he's doing some of the things he's doing so it's like what can you look at and actually see he's not calling timeouts mm. plain as can be like he doesn't use timeouts the same way as other coaches so that's what people latch onto the timeout thing where you know, I think there's some situations where it's worked out well for him, others where maybe it hasn't. It definitely seems like he's adjusted and is using timeouts more. Um, he's still, I mean, in that Knicks game, there were two late game situations where he chose not to use a timeout in for the final possession of, I think, regulation and then overtime or, or no, overtime, then double overtime. But, you know, again, those in itself, like you can argue, I think, pretty, pretty well for both sides of the coin on those situations. Um and again, like at the end of the day, that I don't, I don't think that's going to like be the difference in winning or not winning a championship is how the coach calls his timeouts at the end of the game for the most part. So that to me isn't a major concern. The things that jump out, not jump out, but the things that I sometimes worry about are more like play to play stuff. Like the rotations is something that is again, easy to point to. It's easy to see who he's putting on the court and when and whatnot. But I don't think it's fair to jump on him for rotations when, again, the amount of time where we actually have our top eight guys all in uniform is seemingly never. So he's working with different options almost every night. And, I mean, in some of these games when there's no, you know, we have so many good players that missing Malcolm and Rob shouldn't seem like it's a big deal. But in terms of the lineups and rotations he can play, it, it does change things a lot. So it's hard for these guys to get into rhythm when – you know, they don't know. Like we saw Grant got a DNP the other night and then the next game he's playing 45 minutes. That's tough for a young player. And, you know, it feels like Grant's been around for a while, but he's still a young player, um, you know, and his place in the league isn't there. So like things like that are tough. But like I said, we don't know why Joe's doing this. For all we know, Joe's testing, you know, testing different things. Like how much of this is him just experimenting, finding what does work, finding what doesn't work and knowing that that's kind of what the regular season is for, where this team like they've proven what they can do in the playoffs. We kind of know who they are and it's all kind of the journey of getting there. So for all we know, a lot of the stuff is just him experimenting with different things, putting players in different positions to see what he can get out of them, seeing their limitations and just kind of testing their mental fortitude, even things like that. So as much as it's kind of a boring cop-out answer, like I don't really think we can judge Missoula until we see him in a playoff series because everything until then is kind of just, him like steering the ship till we get to there and then what happens there you know if we get a first round series two seven against the heat and spolster coaches circles around him then i'll be like wow that is bad but yeah. <laughs> i think it that could would, just as easily go the other way like I, yeah. I don't you know one thing like schematically that is 
bothered me is it seems like we are doubling the ball way too much for my liking, generally speaking. But again, part of it is like our defenders in isolation just have not been as good this year for one reason or another. And it's like, is that just championship guys who are kind of, I don't want to say mailing it in, but like, you know what I mean? Like Marcus Smart, for one reason or another, just has not been as good on the defensive end as he was last year. And I think that's not like a, it's not like a glaring problem. Like there's a lot of very reasonable reasons that that would and could be. Do I doubt that he can ratchet it up when he has to? Like, no, he's going to be fine. But this year in the regular season, they just haven't been the same defensive team. And I think smart. I think a lot of the guys are taking it easy, so to speak. Like Al, we've seen Al turn it on a couple times this season. We know it's still there. I mean, Al's been amazing, but I don't think he's exerting all his energy on the defensive end at all times. Rob definitely isn't. And with all three of those guys, you can say how much is health versus kind of managing health versus kind of saving stuff. So, like I said, it's hard for me to get too panicked when in the back of my head, it's like, I know what this team can be. And I haven't seen anything really so far that leads me to believe that like they won't channel that when they need to. So, like I said, stuff like that doesn't bother me, but things like when we're, we're doubling, I mean, in that next game, we were sending a double at um, Randall every time. Yeah. And we shouldn't have to do that. And it seemed like they were kind of picking us apart every time we would do that. Like, it just wasn't working. And we kept doing it. And I feel like this team kind of made their bones not doing that. Switching and trusting guys. And it seems like way too many times we're overhelping. Then the defense is in rotation. And we're just giving up open threes again and again and again so like i said from our perspective we know what's bad we know what the problem is but is it jokes coaching is it the players not listening is it the players just not giving enough effort like whatever it is i think we all can see that it's bad but are they just playing such bad defense that joe feels like he has to do this like again is he just experimenting it's hard to analyze it's just it's tough to watch, like I said, but all of this is basically my long-winded way of saying that I don't think you can pass a ton of judgment on Joe until we actually see what it looks like with a full roster in the playoffs. And, you know, that's the thing with winning. I mean, for yeah. most of the season, we were winning at a high clip, and when you're doing that, nobody's – or not nobody, but a lot of people aren't going to be picking you apart, picking the coach apart, and being mm-hmm. like, why is he doing this, why is he doing that? Yeah. Because we're winning games. Like, oh, well, whatever he's doing, it's working. So, whatever. Now we're losing games here, you know, in, yeah. in uh, you know, dramatic fashion. And people are like, well, why isn't he taking timeouts again? I mean, is that really right. a good idea? They're, so they're questioning the end game timeouts. Then you're looking, like you're saying, at the rotation. It's like, well, maybe early in the year we wouldn't have questioned the rotation at all. But. You know, now that we're losing games, like everything's working, it doesn't matter what he does. Exactly. So he may be coaching the same way he has all year, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, we're you know in a rut. There might be you know lack of intensity or something. The defense, you know, the one-on-one defense hasn't been great. So is that Joe yeah. saying you know, you know, send help, or are those the players being like, you know, not trusting each other one-on-one and mm-hmm. you know taking it upon themselves or? Right. I don't and know. It's, it's hard to know. These guys just suddenly forgot how to defend or aren't right. capable anymore. Yeah. 
So I think you know it is naturally. I don't want to say bored, but it's hard to stay focused for an 82 game season when you're coming off you know that close to the championship, and you feel like I don't want to say all that matters is the playoffs and winning a title, but kind of is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, you, you don't want to wait too long before you really start to get into playoff mode. And I think that's just what we want to see. I mean, there's, what, 20 games left or so? I don't, for us not even. I think there's like 16. 16, so. That's, I don't know, you know the right number. But you'd like to see, uh, you'd like to see things ramp up a bit sooner than later. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we're not, it's not like, we're not, I wouldn't say we're in the back nine yet, on the back nine yet, but we're, we're getting close. Yeah, 16. And, you know, once we get to, 10 games and under, mm-hmm. you know, that's when you, I feel like you want to see teams, you know, right. start really ratcheting up. I mean, yeah, I mean, especially if it depends on the seating or whatever. Rest, right. We'll probably be resting. I mean, unless, you know, we're going down to the last day for seating, but yeah, there's a good chance that there'll be another kind of tuned down, but it's hard to rest and gear up when you're still kind of looking for a rhythm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I think it's probably too soon to get into seating maybe, um, you know, you could do it. Could do a look ahead, but it's going to get into seeding. But I don't think it's too soon to say like, how important is the one seed and home court advantage? Because we talked about this last time, and I think we both agreed it was better to have the one seed in home court than to play the seeding game. But now, when we're looking and like you know, Rob is out again. Um, you know, I think Al and Tatum were out for. It seems like it's mostly rest and injury management. Other yeah, than, I think it was. other than with Rob. Um, but, you know, I mean, Jalen's still got that mask on. Tatum's dealing with a wrist issue. And all these guys have played a ton of minutes. So it's like, at what point do you just say, we'll play whatever seed we end up. We just need to be rested and healthy. Versus the other approach, which is like, hey, we just have to get home court and we'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's kind of that's kind of the question that we – seem to be having every year this time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's always playoffs. It's pretty much always comes down to health. I think, um, health and, you know, fatigue really, um, home court is great, mm-hmm. but I think even, you know, I think generally in the playoffs if two teams are evenly matched on paper or like, you know, evenly matched and one's, you know, healthy and one's not it's i think when you get two teams at full strength the better team's gonna win basically whether it's at home or not um usually i mean it's kind of how it's that's kind of how i feel like it's played out for us the last couple years i think we were the best team last year and um you know with middleton out obviously it skewed things a little bit further our way so i mean if the box are part of it if the Bucks are fully healthy, if we're fully healthy, I still think it's, I think it's about as close to 50, 50 as you can get. Um, but I still think we should, we should win. So even if we're playing the Bucks in Milwaukee conference finals, I still think we can win that game or win that oh, series. I mean, we won so, what two games in Milwaukee last year, so we obviously right. can do it. <laughs> yes. But I mean, let's, Game seven last year, the biggest game of the season up to that point. I was very grateful that it was in TD Garden, I'll tell you that much. Right. 
No, I know. And um, it's it's kind of – I think this year, we saw last year where, you know, I feel like we kind of started running out of steam a little bit, um, where maybe the, the minutes kind of started catching up to people, you know, like Tatum even um, in the finals. I think we're kind of starting to see that we just need – if this team's rested and healthy, mm-hmm. we're – as good as anybody. So that's why I'm kind of leaning towards, you know, rest and health at this point. Yeah. I think that's fair at our best. I think that's, that's definitely fair to say. Um, And I mean, as much as that too, like last year, when you say that we probably should have beat Milwaukee before game seven, we definitely should have beat Miami before game seven. Um, I would say them, those two (laughs) and us, Last year, for sure. Um, probably this year, still up there. But those are probably the most physical teams in the entire league. And I believe that those 14 games against the Bucks and the Heat, all at that point, basically, with only one day off in between every game, that was like a war <laughs> to get yeah. through those. And we won them. But we were beaten down from war. Whereas you look at Golden State, they basically coasted through Dallas they kind of coasted through Memphis. Not, I mean, Memphis played them tough, but Memphis isn't like a physical team. Like the Warriors did not go through the same wars to the to get to the Celtics, and right. it showed. They ultimately were the fresher team, and you're right, we were wearing down. And I don't think it was like a lack of stamina or anything. I think that's just you know the gauntlet of the NBA playoffs. We kept taking damage, and we were just clearly the more beaten down team by the time we got to the finals. So I mean, that's a factor, and I think that's something to consider again. But at a certain point, like the matchups are the matchups and you got to play who you got to play. And especially with the play and now you almost can't even really plan for it between if you're the one or two seed. Like, I mean, last year there was last year was kind of a unique situation, obviously with the nets in the play in and you could kind of tell what was where it was going. But I mean, look at this year, the teams in the play on play in right now is like what the Hawks, the heat, the wizards, maybe um, Toronto Bulls, the Raptors all kind of lingering around and the, Nets are in sixth, but they could fall into it. So in terms of the first round, like, I mean, obviously you don't want to drop down to like the four or five, but it's kind of a crapshoot. The only one of those teams that, I mean, <laughs> obviously we shouldn't lose to any of those teams. Um, right. The only team that I don't want to play is the Heat, <laughs> just because I hate playing the Heat. And it just Spolstra is the one coach that would like, potentially scare me if Joe is out there and to be exposed. Like I don't want his first playoff series to be against Spolstra basically. Um, And you know, that team is just, they're just a pain in the ass. And like I said, I think we would beat them, but again, kind of like last year, I think we'd take so much damage along the way that we'd come out of it having to exert more energy than I would like to in a first round series. And you just look at all those other teams like the Hawks or the wizards or even this version of the nets those should all be sweeps or gentlemen sweeps that shouldn't have us really breaking a sweat, but something about those heat, like uh, I w- <laughs> if there's a way we can avoid it, I would like to, but this will probably set up where we get the two and they get the seven. So, yeah, I think it's probably going to take a sweep of Miami before I'm comfortable <laughs> ever playing Miami again. Yeah. seriously. And I mean, it's testament to that, the organization and the coaching yeah. staff and yeah. you know, the players they got, they, yeah. You know, they they know how to play us and I mean I think they pretty much know how to play anybody. They are not scared of us at all. No, no, exactly. And that's that's scary. 
It is. No, I mean, they. I think they walk on the court thinking they're just as good or better than us every time out there, and that's how they play against us. And, yeah, it's they're just an annoying team. <laughs> if someone else could deal with them, I would appreciate it. Yeah, yeah so that's, I mean – but like I said, we don't, they could get the six, they could get the seven, they could get the eight. So it's not like a type of thing where some, we could even maneuver to avoid them. Right. So, yeah. So, I don't know. No point looking at seeding at this point. But, yeah, I mean, I'd like the one seed. Um, if you told me, you know, we could be the one seed, but we're going to, you know, we're going to be playing a lot of our stars are going to be playing a lot of minutes and, you know, might be a little banged up going into the playoffs or where, you know, the two seed or I guess maybe even three seed, um, but we're fresh and healthy. Mm-hmm. I think I'd go fresh and healthy. Yeah, I think I would too. Um, I mean, and it's kind of, <laughs> kind of a cop out answer now that we fall in two games back in the box where it's not like we really control our own destiny anymore. I mean, obviously we could, going a huge run and we play them one more time and we we could catch them, but it kind of feels like the way the Bucks are playing that if they, unless they slip a little, it's going to be tough to catch them without like really going for it. And I don't right. think we're at the point of really going for it, nor should we be. No, no. I mean, that's definitely shouldn't be priority. I don't think um, it would be nice, but yeah, it would be a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Um, all right, so it sounds like uh, – could you give it a number, 1 to 10, on the panic meter? Have you even pressed the panic button? Like, is the meter running or not even? Um, we are probably – I'd say we're in the orange, so what would that be, like 6 on the panic <laughs> well, meter? What's the color code? I mean, like red is the worst. So green, yellow, orange, red. Oh, like So like 5 to 7.5, somewhere in yeah. that range? Yeah. So over five, fairly panicky, closer to five, but I mean, it's it's for the reasons it's just, I think there is the only reason why, uh, you know, I'm saying that I am a little bit concerned is because of what we're seeing as far as the late game play. But do you Um, think something has fundamentally changed recently that's broken or that's concerning? That's a problem that isn't, or do you think it's just old? issues resurfacing or do you think it's just kind of the way this team is and it just is unfortunate that it's been three games in a row well i mean it's kind of it, you kind of got to think like is this you know the outlier f- because we haven't played you know we haven't really been you know, games, or... you know we haven't and been in a lot of close games we haven't blown a lot of leads mm-hmm. this season up until recently or was the first half of the season the outlier because the last couple of years we've been blowing leads. So I don't know. I'm just, I don't think I'm not panicked just because I, I'm not in like red in the red because pretty think, close. You know, well, <laughs> I'd say I'm like yellow, orange border, you know, like maybe slightly on yeah. the orange, but it's just because of, you know, this is how I've kind of been conditioned. I mean, the last second half of last year in the playoffs was awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's probably a smaller sample size as far as, you know, we've probably we've pretty much not been blowing leads for like, I don't know, eight months. <laughs> so I, I don't know. But at the same that's time, the- I think there have been instances here and there. We haven't seen a three-game stretch like this, but there have been, even the last Cavs game that we won, like we were up 17 and they cut it to four. 
And like we won, but it's still it's kind of still there, and we kind of still like will revert to it even in stretches where sometimes we can write the ship or we still hold on, but we just don't have that like stick the nail in the coffin instinct. And I think part of it is we fall a little too in love with ISO ball, a little too in love with jump shots. And again, so much of this kind of is the NBA, and that's part of why usually the teams that win like you have to have one of the best players in the league. Cause at a certain point you have to have that guy who can just dribble and hit like a pull up jump shot. Mm-hmm. So part of that is like, you know, the, I mean the game, the other, these games the other night, we hit a few more shots. We're not having these conversations. It's not like they're holding the ball and getting a shot clock violation for six possessions in a row. Like part of it is just the shooting has gone a little cold. I mean, we've had overall poor shooting in all of these games and then down the stretch, like, haven't hit the daggers and shots like that that we need to. And I mean, again, a few plays go a little differently and we're having a different conversation here because other than again, the Brooklyn game where we were up 28 and then down double digits and never really fought back was to me, that game, that entire game is kind of an outlier. It was just a weird game on a Friday night where I don't know what the hell happened. (laughs) The Knicks game to me again, disappointing because after that game, you would think you'd come out, play your best and bounce back. And it, we really didn't. It seemed like we kind of coasted through that game. And then there was five minutes left and we were like, oh shit, we're going to lose. Team turned it on, showed their best, came back, got it to overtime, and then obviously lost in double overtime. Quickly went absolutely crazy against us. Um, but that to me is more of like, yeah, we blew a lead, but then we also have the ability to make these crazy short comebacks. Like it goes both ways. And I mean, again, the Cavs game was kind of back and forth. We blew the lead, but these games coming down to the end, they just, it comes down to a few plays and it seems like we just haven't been making those plays. I don't know if that's like a trend. I mean, again, we could talk about the way that Cavs game ended where I think that foul call that sent Mitchell to the line was absolutely ridiculous. I don't know how they can review that and find that that was still enough contact to be a foul in that situation. To me, like I'm so frustrated with the replay system. If that's not overturned, I don't get the point of replay. Because if you're going to say, oh, well, he did graze him. But okay, but it's not a foul. Like, And if you can't overturn that, then what's the point of even doing replay to me? So that's a whole other tangent. That was frustrating. And then, of course... They're, they're afraid to overturn overturn calls for some reason. Is what it seems like. But, I, but like at the same time, I watched a game last night. I don't know if you were watching the Warriors-Thunders game. Thunders. The Warriors-Thunder game. <laughs> and they Warriors challenged a call... Um, and they overturned it. They said it wasn't a foul. And it was like, again, it was con- the guy, I think it was Dort, put the ball down. Kamingo was on him. He was a step late. He used his hand to kind of pull him back and get in front of him. Like, very clear bump. And the ref said, after review, the contact was marginal. And they said, no foul. And it's like, there was so much more contact on that play that was blatantly obvious than there was on the Mitchell foul. So... Again, I just want it to be consistent. If you're going to look and say, well, even there was any contact at all, the call stands, then do that every time. But I look around and there's just no consistency. I don't want to turn this into a whole refing thing but because that's <laughs> you can't control it. It's always been bad, whatever. But that was just extremely frustrating. And then, of course, you get the Grant Williams situation where we got to talk about this mm. at least somewhat. Grant, if you somehow miss this, Grant gets fouled on a – I mean, first of all, I thought in the Cleveland loss was one of Missoula's best games of the year. I thought Joe was lights out. I thought he's had good rotations, good play calls, good schematics. He used his timeouts really well the whole game. I love that he put in Pritchard for that play to be the guy with five seconds left who hadn't played all night. 
he said he's our best guy at catching the ball and going coast to coast. And that's exactly what he did. He caught it on the run in the backcourt. Two, three or four dribbles was at the rim. Got a good look that was contested by three calves. He missed the layup. But, I mean, that's exactly what we wanted to happen. Grant goes up for the putback, gets hip-checked to the ground, goes to the line. Two free throws, just needs to make one to win the game. Donovan Mitchell chirps him, of course. I'm sure you've all seen the video by now. Grant says, I'm going to make them both. I'm going to make them both. I'm going to make them both. He proceeds to brick both free throws. <laughs> um, Marcus Intern, unbelievable putback attempt that rimmed out um, that would have won the game and been even more incredible of an ending. And then, of course, the you know fatigue then really caught up with us in overtime. We lost the game, whatever. But again, Grant hits one of those free throws. We're not having the same conversation. So, again, like so much of this is you just got to make one play, one or two more plays down the stretch and finish these games off, and we're fine. Because, again, the NBA, every game you watch, there's runs back and forth. No lead is safe. I mean, 28 should be. But, like I said, blowing a 12-point lead in the third quarter is not really, like, a collapse in this day and age. It's just not. And then you see it go back and forth both ways. And like I said, the Celtics get down 12 in the third quarter, and I still think we're going to come back. And usually we do. So that, to me, is kind of just how the game goes. Um, and it's unfortunate. But I guess getting back to Grant on the whole, we talked about Grant a little bit last time as things have been going weirdly. It's, I would say, definitely gotten weirder. Um, <laughs> he had some really bad games. As I mentioned earlier, he got the DNP, which... It hasn't happened to him in over two years where he didn't even get in for a minute. Um, and other guys did, you know, Muscala played, um, Hauser played. So it was clearly just a coaching decision to not play Grant, which is weird when a guy who's, you know, a, he's a role player, but he's been an important cog on this team, clearly somewhat of a leader um, for better or worse. And a guy who's reliable. I mean, he was one of our best players in that, Game seven against the Bucs, obviously, hitting seven threes in you know the biggest game of his life. But whatever you want to say, Grant is an important part of this team. For him to get to the point where he's been playing so poorly or whatever that he's getting – he's not playing a minute in a game is eye-opening, to say the least. Now, after the game, Joe said, oh, you know, it was just matchups, whatever. Maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. I think at least partly he's probably trying to send him a message, a little bit of a wake-up call. Um, he had a he played one of his best games against the Cavs, and it seemed like he was back to doing what Grant does well, which I've always said is when he's at his best, catch and shoot, focus on defense, being an irritant. That's really it. Way too much pump faking, trying to put the ball on the floor, trying to make plays. That has not gone well for him, and it seems like he's just gotten downright hesitant to shoot, which is really the worst thing that could possibly happen. He's a good shooter. If you're in a slump, shoot your way out of it. I have no problem with him going through a slump. What I have a problem with is him hesitating or not shooting, which is what's happened. And at that point, you know, you're back to the semi-ogelays of the world out there. And that's, you just can't have that. And again, for a guy who's been pretty consistently like around a 40% shooter for two years now, like the outlier is bad shooting at this point. We know Grant is a good catch and shoot three-point shooter. He was burying shots against the Cavs. And then obviously he has this... <laughs> Awful situation where he misses both free throws. So now, I, where are we at with Grant? Like, I don't even know what to think at this point. Yeah, the the reason why he's turned himself into, like, you know, an elite role player is because he figured out the catch-and-shoot three. And if you remove that from his game, then what is he really? I mean, like a well, – Defense not much. <laughs> sol solid defender, 
Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's, it's Samuel Jolie, basically. Um, and I think that was probably the concern when we drafted him. I was like, is he just a Samuel Jolie? Then he figured out the three and we realized, oh, no, he's more than that. Yeah. And he's he's been, he turned you know, down, what, $16 million a year last offseason, so. Yeah. That's uh, hopefully he's not looking at a Nerlens Noel situation here, but uh, I mean he'll still someone will still pay him, but I don't know. I mean I wonder if like you know a little part of him was thinking you know I want to I gotta maybe I should do a little bit more or whatever, and um, maybe he was kind of overthinking it, like you know maybe I should yeah. get that contract or you know do a little bit of this, show people I can do this and that, and you know he got away from what made him so good and. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I can't really blame him for thinking that, but obviously it's not, hasn't been working. Um, <laughs> not well. So I don't know. I think, I feel like he's overall, he's been pretty strong mentally. That whole situation <laughs> with the last couple of, the last two free throws makes me think maybe otherwise. Uh, he looked like, I don't know. That he looked way. rattled. Like he was definitely. He was, that first he was showing, almost an air ball. That was yeah. way off. The second one up rimmed out, but I mean he's an eighty something percent free throw shooter. He's he's not usually missing two free throws. Yeah. And I mean, if he makes one of those, then Then we're probably fine. talking about how he had one of his best games in months and yeah. hit the game winning free throw. Like <laughs> and even on that play to get fouled, he was in the right place at the right time. He should would have had yeah. the game winning tip in if he didn't get fouled. So that game was mostly good, but all that anyone's going to talk about is how bad the ending was for him. Yeah. Um, but I mean, do you feel differently about Grant and his role on this team than you did a month ago? I think, uh, I think we're, I think we need Grant to be a little bit closer to what he was at the beginning of the year than he is now. If we really want to, yeah. you know, go in here, I'm not saying like the difference between a championship and not is whether Grant Williams plays well or not, but it would make things a lot easier. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would be nice to have the old reliable Grant back. Um, and I mean, like I said, hopefully the free throw situation was kind of rock bottom. And now he mm-hmm. can just say, well, it can't get worse and start to play free again. I don't know. Like you said, is he worrying about the contract situation? Hard to say, but it's it's been kind of rocky for a while. And um, big game, obviously, tonight in a few hours against the Blazers. And then the Celtics go on a big, long road trip. Which hopefully, you know, these six game road trips, these are the kind of things where hopefully some team bonding, maybe a players only meeting. I don't know, but it's it's kinda now or never to write the ship, get back on trap, or we're kinda just gonna be wobbling into the playoffs, and then I don't have a ton of confidence against almost any of the teams we play because everyone's good. Mm-hmm. I hear you. Um so I don't know. I think I think we're gonna find out pretty quickly, you know, if this is if we're really in a slump or if we just had a little bit of bad luck and you yeah. know, lost focus. Yeah. So, and I mean, I don't think we suddenly became a bad team. I think no. the, now it's just, is, is there a more of a gap between Milwaukee and the rest of the East versus Boston and Milwaukee than the rest of the East? Yeah. Are we more with the rest of the East or are we more with Milwaukee? That's the question. <laughs> yeah, that certainly is the question. I think we're going to find out pretty soon. Um, other talking point, I guess is more just, what do we do in these crunch time lineups? Cause it seems like Joe is so tied to the guys. I mean, in that Knicks game, he played the same guys for the last counting the overtimes. It seemed like they were on the court for almost 20 minutes in a row. 
Um, eventually, he put White in only because Smart fouled out. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it is going to be a night to night thing with these matchups. They had Randall and Robinson out there. We obviously didn't have Rob. Grant's going to be on the court. We need another big body. Like, I get that. But I don't know. I hope, I just hope he's not too afraid to kind of make tough decisions on the fly like that. If something's not going well, and we didn't have Malcolm as an option. But again, when we're at full strength, at some point, there's going to be a tight game. And we have eight guys who could make a, a case for being on the court at the end of the game. And I'm just fascinated to see how that kind of plays out. Because, like, Derek White has arguably been our third best player this season. Mm -hmm. Brogdon has been really good. And on offense, like, and then maybe that'll just be it. It'll be based on what we need in the matchups. And that's not the wrong answer. But it's weird to me to have a team that's, like, so clearly a contender. And there are kind of so many question marks with things like that. Where when a game is on the line, just, like, who are your best five guys that you play? And I'm not sure the answer and i'm not 100 sure joe knows the answer yeah well that's a, hopefully he figures it out pretty quick but i mean i think we saw too uh correct me if i'm wrong but even when rob was healthy there were some times where the that you know closing five i don't think he was even on the on the court so i don't know is he part mm-hmm. of the crunch time lineup is he is it kind of case by case i mean I don't know. I mean, obviously, now that he's hurt, we haven't been able to see it the last couple of games. But um, I don't know. Is he? Yeah. In your eyes, <laughs> is he part of that closing? That closing five. It's so tough, and it's one of those things where it's almost like a gift and a curse having this much optionality because um, mm-hmm. we can, you know, pick what we need. But yeah, it's weird to think Rob Williams, as good as he is, wouldn't be one of our players in crunch time. But when Rob's, I mean, that's one less shooter. That's a guy, you know, a guy who on offense, he's a good, obviously a very good passer, a dunker, all the things he does, but it's just a different dynamic than if you've got, you know, White or Brogdon in there with Al, and then you've got five shooters on the floor. Like, it's going to be tough. And I mean, but then you look at these last two games, the Knicks and the Cavs games, like, what killed us the most to me, it was the glass and especially the offensive glass. I mean, that Cavs game, again, we had, didn't have Al or Rob, but the Cavs were just rebounding the ball at will. How many times did Mobley and Jared Allen just get offensive rebounds, put them back up or tip them back out over and over and over and over again. So like if that's happening to me, I think Joe at some point I need Rob in there to get a rebound. I mean, same thing. Mitchell Robinson looked like a man amongst boys against us in that next game. So like, yeah, we need Rob to get some boards, but then on the other end, like how do you not have white in there? How do you not have Brogdon in there? Like these are all guys who are used to being good up there for the best player on teams and used to closing games and, haven't done anything like to not be in that mix. Um, that it's gonna be really tough. It's gonna be really interesting to see. And like I said, I don't, I don't really have an answer for you. And I think it's that's where that's where Joe is gonna have to prove kind of his worth is making those decisions, pressing the right buttons at the right time. And ultimately, why I said I don't think we can really judge him too much until we see that in the high stakes environment like the playoffs. Because right now, if he loses a game, he can you know, chalk that up to a learning experience. Cause it kind of is. Yeah. And I think that's, you don't really get to see what a coach is made of until the playoffs. Yeah. And I think, you know, unfortunately, you know, I don't want to cop out and say, well, you know, it's too soon to give him a, a grade season, full season grade. Cause we haven't gotten there yet, but we haven't gotten there yet. Um, 
He's yeah. shown flashes of being great. He's shown, you know, some flashes of, you know, being a rookie head coach. Yeah. Um, and like you said, so, I mean, this is really the first continued stretch of major on-court adversity. So I think, uh, you know, like I said, it starts tonight in a couple hours against the Blazers and then a long road trip away from home. And I think that's where, you know, we learn a lot about this team. And I think as much as it's up to Joe, it's up to these players. These guys are veteran players. They all came back hungry. They got a taste. They want that championship. It's time to get in there to say the right things, to do the right things and to really ramp it up. And if, you know, this is kind of a three and three road trip with more of this kind of back and forth, up and down, inconsistent play. It's just, you know, we're not, we're a good team and we've got, earned the benefit of the doubt, but we're not like the warriors where we have five ships under our belt and I'm we can just flip the switch. We're not there. Right. yet. We're not a team that should be, a, should be flipping the switch. And if that's how we're thinking, then that scares me a lot. Right. Um, so like you, I would like to see kind of, getting back to it, a new dedication to the craft, especially on defense. Let's lock in and play defense for 48 minutes. I don't care who's on the floor. We can do that. So I want to see us clean some things up. I mean, I, I, if we lose tonight at home, that'd be pretty scary. I, like, it's, it's, There's no must wins in the regular season, but it would be nice to have like a, a, a statement performance that looks like the, the three-game losing streak. And Joe has gotten the team's attention and right. this back. Um, Cause like you said, you know, we're a month away from the playoffs and it's going to be here soon. And um, it's, it's hard to just overnight go back to just cause we know we can do it. Doesn't mean you can kind of channel it at will. So. Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, just for, for optics and morale, let's, let's get a convincing win tonight. Let's go on the road trip, you know, win four, go four and two, five and one, People forget this, all this happened. Hopefully put a little bit of space between us and, uh, and Philly. And then, you know, the last 10 games, we kind of – nine, 10 games, yeah. we have some options. That's yeah. – if, if that happens, no, we'll I'm, never, we won't even remember any of this. Exactly. Three injury. So let's just take, exactly. go take care of business. Exactly. Let's get back on track. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. All right. Well, I think we're largely on the same page. Um, anything else for uh, the Celts we want to hit on? No, I mean, I think that's, I think that was pretty much wraps it up. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. Um, lately, we've been kind of wrapping up with some quick hits around the NBA. Today, we're going to wrap up the show, um, taking a minute to talk about some late breaking news just into the show in the world of basketball, but not the NBA. Uh -oh. And that is the fact that one of the greatest human beings on the face of the earth and that would be Jim Beheim is officially no longer the coach at Syracuse as of no moment. way. Uh, they lost this morning to Wake Forest in the ACC tournament, ending their season. And the notification has just come in that Jim Beheim is no longer Syracuse's basketball coach. That's the wording of the tweet. So oh it's hard to say if he was with the university, kind of forced him out, if he retired. However, this went down, but the end of an era, a guy who has been there for. 47 years as the head coach of Syracuse basketball. Um, anyone who doesn't know, that is that is the Chuddy's college team right there. That is my guy. So um, I just want to be one of the first to congratulate Jim on an unbelievable career. And the last few years haven't been maybe as great as some of them, but that it should not overshadow what he has done. And, you know, with obviously the NCAA vacating his coaches, to me he is, you know, right there on the Mount Rushmore of greatest 
co- basketball coaches of all time. So um, congrats, Jim. And, and as a Syracuse fan, thank you for everything you've done, um, you know, turning this program into what they've been for the for my entire life, really, and beyond. So, uh, again, sad day, bittersweet. I'm excited to kind of see what the future holds and where the team goes from here because they definitely needed a change and some fresh blood. But uh, for now, I, I want to, you know, just it's all about Jim and good for him. Legendary career, truly. Touching, very touching tribute, man. Hopefully this gets back to him. I'd be surprised if it didn't. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's that's big news. And I, um, you know, after this, after we wrap this up, I assume you'll have some, uh, you'll take some time to reflect and, you know, make a few phone calls and maybe mm-hmm. uh, shed a few tears. But yeah, um, yeah. that's fair. You know, maybe maybe it's for the best. I. I... Sadly, I think ultimately it probably is. I don't want to say the game's passed him by, but um, 47 years. <laughs> so, Sometimes you see a change. Time. It's a damn long time, and a lot has changed, and he's done – he's basically given his life to Syracuse basketball and that university in that city, and he's, like I said, living legend, and uh, he deserves to enjoy the the rest of his life, however he sees fit, and um, – I hope Squeeze, that he'll squeeze a lot of juice out of that program. So he's yeah, and I'm sure you know, even if he's not on the sideline, he's he's Syracuse through and through. He'll still be there, and he'll always be a part of this team. And that's you know, they play their home games on Jim Beheim Court, and um, as they should. Like I said, just just a, a true legend. A word we throw around a lot, but that guy is a true living legend. Now let's get let's get mellow on the seas and. Uh... We'll literally have a real a real Syracuse episode next time. Well, let's get Mello on the podcast. Screw it. Yeah, he's probably not doing anything. Well, if, we, if the C's don't sign him, we'll see if we can get him to come on and talk about them. At least, yeah, at least guest appearances here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Well, I got nothing else. I think that's uh, probably the perfect way to end it. We're looking for the Celtics to bounce back at home tonight on Portland, get a little momentum going into this road trip, and um, hopefully find a little rhythm as we get ready for playoff season. Sounds good to me. Let's let's roll. Let's do it. Thanks as always for joining us, Chuddy Heads. And as always, go C's. Go C's. Should have never sent him to pick up the work for Spray the park and had my shit inside the car. Marcus Smart Boy was shooting with a 36 on him. Said if he wasn't in a rush, they was all gone. His tech cursive on the jets, he was going Sean John. They were sleeping on the garden and dawn.